in the Gulag Archipelago, Alexander Solzhenitsyn said that the line separating good and evil runs through every human heart. We are all fallen, we are all broken, and we are all capable of acts of unspeakable evil. And that is why we need the salvation offered through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. Welcome to the Worldview War Room. I'm your host, Brenton Levi, and on this week's episode, we have Coach Anthony Deal. He is a nutrition and fitness coach, a former strongman, and America's Strongest Man champion. And if that wasn't cool enough, dude also has a master's degree in apologetics. So he's a really intelligent guy. He has a lot of really cool things to say, very um, experienced in a lot of different areas of life. And I just think you guys are going to really enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here is this week's guest, Coach Anthony Deal. All right, Coach Anthony Deal, welcome to the podcast, brother. And it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I am really excited for this conversation. Um, I just found your Instagram page recently. Apparently, we were talking before the show. Um, you had a pretty big page um, that got shut down due to some uh, COVID uh, shenanigans, um, which seems to be pretty common nowadays. But uh, yeah, I was really surprised that you didn't have many followers on this page because what you post is just incredible content that um, I think is really high quality and just really valuable for people. And you post on a range of topics from theology to fitness. So I'm just really excited to talk to you and uh, see what uh, we can get into, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I'm excited. So I'm an open book. So ask away and uh, I will tell you the story of of me if that's interesting. All right. <laughs> I think it, I think it will be. I'm getting a feeling it will be. So I'm thinking you can just start with a bit of an introduction about yourself. Maybe if you want to talk a little bit about just kind of your past and how you got to where you are and maybe just the things you're passionate about and what you're doing in the world. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I will try to make this uh, understandable and brief and not talk a million miles an hour. That's what I tend to do when I get really excited and passionate is I just, I just got like a freight train. So I am married to my wife for 13 years, three kids. Um, we have a wild household. It's great. We live out in the country in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So we're surrounded by cornfields and Amish folks. We've got a couple dogs, 20 chickens. And uh, yeah, we just we, we live a good life out here in the country. God has been good to us. Um, I am a strength and nutrition coach by trade. I have my own my own business and I coach athletes. Um I also coach just soccer moms and anybody that wants to lose 10 to 15 pounds and executives and all of that. And I used to be geared more towards athletes and I still love my athletes, but I get a lot of satisfaction out of helping someone get off their blood pressure meds and, uh, you know, just live a more high quality life. I don't believe as one who subscribes to the sovereignty of God uh, in all things, I don't think I can add a day to anybody's life, but I think I can add quality of life to their days. 
right? And so if I'm supposed to leave this earth at 84, I can either leave this earth at 84 um, bedridden and sick, or I can be healthy and agile and uh, as, as free to be able to do life as possible. So that's my goal in my own strength, health, fitness, and for other people as well. Um, well, let's see. How did... So I was talking to you before the show, and I mentioned that my degree is in theology with a minor in Greek. So how in the world did I become a strength coach? <laughs> so after getting married, my wife and I moved to Lexington, Kentucky to be involved in a church plant. And um, I was going to Southern Seminary, which is in Louisville, Kentucky, just an hour away. And I was leading worship there, playing guitar. Um, and, you know, my view of church and missions and all that sort of stuff sort of started to change. And I'm at a small church plant, so they can't afford to pay me. So I have to take care of my family. And so what does a lot of, uh, what, what do a lot of grad students and students, where do they go to get a job? Starbucks. And so I went and got a job there because they had benefits at part-time. It was great. And quickly I moved up and I was a manager of a store within a year. And, and I moved up and I ended up being with Starbucks for uh, 10 years, uh, about 10 years, I think right, right at 10. And uh, it was a fantastic experience and involved in the church there. And then I got recruited away to Amazon to be a senior operations manager. And so um, I was really honing my chops at leadership and still pouring into the local church. It's a small church. So I enjoyed that. And along the way, um, I found Strongman, the sport of Strongman. And it became a hobby of mine. And just a, a buddy of mine one day said, hey, we're doing farmer's carries out back. You want to join us? I said, what is a farmer's carry? And I did it, and I was terrible at it. So what, what was your fitness level at this point? That's a great question. So in I played sports all through high school and stuff. I was chubby. I was a chunky kid. So when I played soccer, I played, like, right fullback, so I didn't have to run. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? So um, I got to college. I was, pretty, I was pretty chubby, pretty overweight. But I decided my freshman year, I'm losing a bunch of weight. And I lost, like, 90 pounds in six months. And I had zero knowledge of nutrition or training i just decided i was going to eat meat and vegetables and run and i did and i probably trained absolutely looking back i trained um terribly my, my my like my plan was awful i didn't know what i was doing but i think i am a living proof of you can have the best plan in the world um but if you only give half effort you're only gonna get half results you can have the worst plan in the world, but if you give 100% effort, you're going to get great results. So effort is the determining factor. So I gave a lot of effort. And I got a lot of results, uh, even if the methodology was pretty terrible. So got into lifting weights in college. Um, so I always liked fitness. Um, and so I had a gym membership. But yes, I found Strongman. And I picked it up as kind of a hobby, doing it on Saturdays with the guys. And I started to get good at it. And I started to enter some local competitions, and I, I fell in love with it. I just loved that pursuit of trying to get stronger and stronger. Um, so I started competing, started competing, started doing really well. I turned professional in 2019, and uh, the following year I did America's Strongest Man and won that. So that was kind of like the peak of my strongman days was winning America's Strongest Man. Um, and, and then after that, my body decided to fall apart on me. Tore bicep off the bone, tore pec, tore hamstring, herniated. Yeah, I've, I, so I've had some injuries. And so I actually shifted over to bodybuilding because I've always wanted to do it. I always wanted to do it at least once. And I knew that was a good time because bodybuilding is a very different type of stress. It's it's harder discipline-wise with the diet and the regimen. 
But as far as on your body, it was a lot easier on my joints than strongman. And so that's how I kind of transitioned there. Um, how I became a strength coach, though, as I was coming up through strongman, again, I'm I'm leading at church. I'm, I'm a leader and a manager at Starbucks. Then I was a senior operations manager at Amazon. I was always pouring into people, helping them advance their careers, developing other leaders. I loved that. I loved leading leaders. And so to take my my skill set, which is leadership and coaching and development and apply it to something I was getting really passionate about, fitness, was a no-brainer. I started coaching people for free and then I started getting good results with clients and people started to flood to me. And so I started to charge a little bit and then I started to further my education in that field by taking classes and mentorships, started to charge more. And it grew to the point where I eventually left Amazon in 2018 um, and went full-time coaching just because I was at a tipping point where... Um, I wanted to go all in on myself. I knew I could do this. So, um, and then where I got into nutrition, because that's actually my real passion. I still love programming and training, but nutrition is my passion. My middle son uh, was when he is seven now. He was, when he was two, he was diagnosed with autism. When he was diagnosed with autism, my wife and I went down every rabbit hole we could to help him naturally. And we discovered that removing gluten and dairy from his diet um, really helped him and his speech therapy. Now, I have nothing against gluten or dairy, and I do not advocate that for everybody to remove that. And I'm a meat and potatoes country guy, so I never thought I'd be a gluten-free, dairy-free guy. But when we made some nutritional changes in our house to serve him, that was the only variable that changed, and my strength training took off. I remember within six months of switching my diet and paying attention to what I was eating, my deadlift jumped like 50 pounds, and my training didn't change. I just was eating better. I was eating smarter. I was eating quality food, higher nutrients, more protein, better, you know, a lot more vegetables, just a lot more nutrients. And I was just taking care of my body. And and so now that's kind of my, that's like the tagline of my business is leading with health. And I firmly believe that a healthy individual at a cellular level will both perform better and look better. And it depends. Obviously, if I'm coaching bodybuilders, their goal is an aesthetic. And they don't necessarily care how much they deadlift. They just, they want to create an aesthetic. For the performance athlete, though, they want to perform. And health at the cellular level is foundational to both of those things. So that is the that was like the seven-minute, 30,000-foot view of uh, the last kind of 13 years and, and how I got to be where, where I am. So hopefully that gives a little bit of context. And feel free yeah. to dig in there and fly anywhere you want to. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I love that, man. That's a really cool story. Um, like... It's just you know you've been involved in in like a lot of different things that are seemingly unrelated but i love how you kind of you gave us that through line of like how you know even with the starbucks and the amazon it was the leadership and how that transitioned you into coaching and being able to help people and um so the i think the most important through line you'd probably agree with this will probably be um you know our lord and savior jesus christ so Absolutely. how how um how would you say that your you know, journey through fitness and nutrition. Um, how does that relate to your relationship with Christ and kind of just your spiritual life? Yeah, well, that's a great question. So I have a, a lot to say about this. So unfortunately, well, thank. first off, let's just say, let's just be thankful for God's grace and that he pursues rebels, right? Um, I, I was a Christian Literally, I, I grew up in church. The, the doors were open. We were there. Um, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Every time there was a service, I was there. So um, I became a true believer around 18 is when I truly, I think, understood the gravity of my sin. Um, 
Now, my wife and I actually, we lost our fourth baby in 2018, uh, pretty far along. And uh, that was really tough for us and for my wife and for me. And unfortunately, for a couple, I would say, a, like we never left church, but for a couple years, we really walked away from God for all intents and purposes. We were, we were doing Christianity outwardly. Um, but I was pursuing myself and, and I always feel this sort of catch 22 because I look at where I'm at now and I'm so th- I'm thankful, um, my business is thriving and it makes me be able to take care of my family. And yet I look back with somewhat of a, a profound sadness because I know that a lot of those years leading up to me becoming a professional were bent on myself and I was selfish. I wasn't the husband and father that I should be. And so if anything, where I'm at now is a testament to the fact that, um, God delights in using broken things. <laughs> like, so, so my story is definitely not one of like, of, I just, I wish it was one of, I had followed Jesus faithfully and he just, no, it was one of, um, I was a Christian walking with the Lord, hard things happened. I rebelled, but because God and his grace doesn't allow his people to walk away, finally he to, he pursues them and he and and so thankfully in God's grace he brought us back to himself and I I often felt guilty for not being in full-time Christian ministry because that was the original goal that I had but I was reflecting on this with a friend the other day I'm so thankful to be where I'm at now I guarantee you I get more gospel opportunities now than I ever would being a pastor guaranteed I literally get a chance to share the gospel with someone every day at least because I have over a hundred clients and I check in with them every week on on nutrition we go over their nutrition we go over things like stress hunger energy digestion recovery but that stress is the big one because that impacts your body and so when you start talking to people about stress they start opening up about financial problems about marriage problems relationship problems their kids are being disrespectful they have this issue going on and there are so many times where i can i can pray with my clients i can offer to just pray with them right there we've i've prayed with clients right via instagram chat as i'm checking in with them or um, provided counsel for them or reached out to local counselors in their area and said hey you know what you're going through i'm praying for you this is a little out of the scope of practice but here's somebody in your area that's a great resource so it's like um who knows what the lord has done the future you know in regards to that, because I love preaching, I love teaching. Um, I also love what I do, and I get a ton of opportunity now. So I would say that my attitude and my outlook, you know, when I first started coaching, it was very self-driven and, and and not necessarily in a bad way, right? You want your business to grow. I need to provide for my family. But now I definitely see my uh, my business and what I do as a, not just a means to take care of my family, but as a as a means to spread the gospel as well. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. Um, and yeah, it's like as a pastor, you're going to more often be interacting with people who are already believers, right? But you get to interact with every day with, I'm assuming, a lot of people that aren't. So, of course, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and especially in the in the world that I'm in, um, in the fitness space, there's a lot of believers, which is encouraging. There's a lot of unbelievers too. So uh, there's definitely, uh, there's it's, there's it's definitely ripe for harvest. <laughs> Let's put it yeah. that way. Yeah. Well, and so you're talking about the stress, right? Yes. And how these people have all these different issues. They start opening up when you ask them about their stress. That kind of brings me to part of my inspiration for starting this podcast really is how 
most of those pro- well i would say all of those problems that we all face um the solution to them is jesus um and that's kind of you know the idea of the worldview war room is like when you have a worldview that takes into account the creator of the universe and you know his plan to reconcile us with him um that you're um, much more capable of handling all those things and solving all the problems in your life and in society. I made a post not terribly long ago. I don't know if I put it on this Instagram or if it was on the one that the other one that got canceled. Um, but I put something to the effect of a lot of the stress in your life is just you're not repenting of your sin. Mm. <laughs> and that's just the reality of it is, you know, and, and that's what's tough is sometimes I'm counseling these people and I'm listening to their stories and I'm like, bro, the reason that you're stressed out is because you're living in active rebellion against God. <laughs> and again, that's not to say Christians don't have stress. Christians deal with marital stress and relationship stress and finances and everything else. But a lot of times the stress is self-induced rebellion, you know? Um, so, so it becomes interesting. Uh, and, and it's always interesting too, because part of being a good leader in any scenario, not just with the gospel is um, I think you, you have to be able to relate to people well, and you have to switch your leadership style based on the person that's in front of you and, and how they operate, how they tick. And then two, the added dimension that I have to be careful of is um, I coach men and women. And so with women, as a married man, I need to be very careful because when you're mm-hmm. counseling, you're, there's emotional vulnerability. And so this is where um, I have a special app all my, requ- my clients are required to communicate through this app and through this app only. They don't have my cell phone number unless it's a special occasion or whatnot. And so they're only allowed to communicate with me through this app. My wife has access to that so she can see all of those conversations, right? Um, and sometimes, depending on the nature of the topic, I've even referred to some of my female clients. I'm like, hey, you want to talk to my wife? Like, she'll, she'd be happy to talk with you and pray with you. Um, so talk with her. But then with my dudes... If you're a guy, I'm gonna be a little more harsh with you, out of love, but understanding that guys can handle that a little bit more. And so, you know, I'm not gonna say to a female like, "Well, you suck. You need to stop sitting." <laughs> the other day, the other day, I had one of my one of my guys on, and I was like, "Hey, man, just if I if I said to you what you just said to me, what would you say?" He'd be like, "That you're an idiot. And you need to stop doing what you're doing." I was like, "Yeah, you're an idiot. You need to stop doing what you're doing. I love you. Stop being an idiot." <laughs> yeah, but it's good. It's good. Man, and that's something that I think um, sometimes a lot of guys don't realize is that uh, we really do have to communicate with women differently than we communicate with with men. Um, I know it's something I have fallen into before is like really kind of um, not being as, um, I guess, just uh, considerate or as um, nurturing or or gentle as I could be when communicating with women in my life. so, yeah, I love and I love also that you are so um, mindful of how you interact with your female clients. Um, yeah, that's just I, I, I think you should always be that way, man. I didn't used mm-hmm. to be, to be honest with you. And it caused problems in in my marriage and and my intentions were always pure. But um, you just got to be careful. And so I'm at a place now where, um, you know, I have to say loud and clear that my wife is my number one. And so that if there's any female that she's uncomfortable with, well, then they just get blocked. Like they say, well, that, you know, what if you were friends with them? Well, then I'm not anymore, bro. That's so harsh and mean. Uh, I care about my wife. Like at the end of the day, I care about my wife. Any other female, I'm willing to just cut off and sacrifice. I mean, like it sounds really harsh, but that is, that's the position men need to take. 
um, to be perfectly honest. Like, and I haven't always done that. In so, and it's uh, so that's something I'm I'm passionate about as well. It's just, it, dude, especially the fitness industry, because mm-hmm. let's just be real. I'm around attractive females all the time. That is an area you have to guard like crazy, and you better have some steep walls and some some boundaries set or you're you're just playing with fire and what does proverbs say a man can't take fire into his into his chest hold it to his chest and not be burned right so you cannot play with that fire you gotta yeah. you gotta have some walls and it gets tough i won't lie especially being in the bodybuilding space sometimes well and i think um that's first of all a testament to just what it means to live as a christian in this world it's like i mean that's so different than secular society right i mean you know a secular person would would hear you say that and be like dude like what's wrong with you that's so weird right um, you can check some of my posts man i i've made some of these posts I, I put something like um a man should have no close friends no close a married man should have no close female friends mm-hmm. and people their minds are blown and i was like no there are plenty of women that i'm friends with um or that i clarify i'm friendly with but what i mean is um, I'm never going to just text a female and be like, Hey, how's your day? Like I would with a bro. Um, I'm not going to do life with and just get chatty with a female. There are plenty of women though, that I see it at church that I see at the gym, even that I know that I coach. And, um, when I see them, Hey, how are you? What's how's life going on? We'll talk for a few minutes and I get back to doing my lift and they go about good. So I'm not going to not be nice. I'm friendly, but I'm not riding in a car alone. I'm not going out to any sort of events with me and another female. It's just goofy. I'm just not, I'm not going to do that as a married man. So that's what I mean. I'm not saying married men should be jerks to other women. No, 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 no. Married men should just simply not have female close friends. Just be friendly, you know? Um, Or if you do have friends, I guess you could caveat this. I'm friends with our pastor's wife, but I don't ever text her. I'm friends with her when she's sitting on my couch next to my wife and I'm sitting next to her husband and we're sharing a glass of wine. Okay, whatever. Like, we're friends. But, you know, I think, and here's the thing. People want to make this all complicated. It's common sense. Mm -hmm. Like, it's common sense. And now people say, bro, you just have trust issues. Well, fundamentally, yes, because of what I believe about the nature of man. I have trust issues with myself simply because I understand my sin nature. So mm-hmm. you're correct. I have trust issues. <laughs> it, and uh, the Bible says to guard your heart because out of it flow the all of the issues of life. So, yes, I do have trust issues. <laughs> Amen, brother. And I think this is a great segue into um, one of your posts that I saw that just really hit home for me, um, where you uh, wrote, The Christian is not to adopt the culture neither is the Christian to escape the culture, rather the Christian is to shape the culture. And what you're talking about with the way you approach like friendship with um, females as a married man is very countercultural. And it's very, um, it's a very like specific Christian view of how to approach things in a lot of ways. Um, so I'm curious, um, just kind of how do you see our role as Christians in shaping culture and um, how does that look in your everyday life in other ways yep. other than what you're just talking about? So, uh, well, this is such a big topic. So where to start? Um, the word culture comes from the Latin word cultus, 
cult, i.e. it's what society worships. Um, so culture is downstream of worship. Okay, so if you want to understand a culture, look at what they worship. Well, what is worship? What does it mean to ascribe glory? What does it mean to praise? I was just explaining explaining this to my six and seven year old. By the way, if you want to know if you understand something, explain it to a child and you'll realize really quickly, like when you can't define words you use every day, you're like, wow, I need to think deeper. So my kids are like, what's glory? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> so that's a great challenge. Explain it to a child. If you can do that, then you're good. Um, but but culture is downstream of worship. So I was trying to explain praise to my daughter. And C.S. Lewis said that praise is the consummation of delight. Like it's the fulfillment. When delight just bubbles over, you praise. But the best illustration I can think of is, uh, I don't know, do you watch sports at all? No, I don't. Okay, well, I'm going to use the sports analogy anyways. Um, I think you can identify with this. I, when I lived in Kentucky, I was a UK fan, and I was there a couple years when they won March Madness. And I'll just, I'll never forget, you know, um, one of the Harrison twins goes up for a fadeaway three, and, and it just swish, nothing but net. And we just jump up, and I turn to my buddy, did you see that? Like, what a dumb question. Of course he saw that. He's sitting here right beside me. <laughs> that is a fundamentally stupid question to ask. But it, when you're so excited about what you just witnessed, you're compelled to speak about it. Mm. And so you delight. You, you, when you praise something, it is, it is the consummation of delight. So the things that you speak about, the things that you get excited about will clue you in on what you're worshiping. And so mm -hmm. look around at society. What does society get excited about? What do they have to speak about constantly? That's their God. Okay. So our society celebrates the death of babies and um, transgender rights and environmentalism and a whole host of other things. That is fundamentally what they worship. And Christians can fall into this ditch of sometimes it's because I think if you're doing this correctly and trying to not adopt the culture but engage the culture and not be of it at the same time, it can get really overwhelming. It requires discernment. Well, some people just say, screw that. I'm just going to peace out and escape the culture. So you have the Amish community where they literally just say, I'm going to just go back a couple centuries, leave us alone, and they escape the culture. But other Christians do this too, to where they'll just, it's a sort of Gnosticism that's invaded the American and Western landscape that says the physical and the earthly doesn't matter, only the spiritual. Um, Christianity is a privatized faith. God has nothing to say about politics. We stay out of that. We don't worry about that. Uh, we're just going to get our, the world's going to go to hell until Jesus comes back or we get raptured. And so we're just going to get our butts kicked for Jesus and hold out for the rapture. And so then we just don't engage culture at all. Um, and I think that's wrong. I think that's fundamentally wrong. Um, I think that we are to be in the world. We're just not supposed to adopt the practices and the worldview of the world. And so that doesn't, sometimes that is going to reflect in, in things that we wear, like issues of modesty. But we're not supposed to just be weird for the sake of being weird. I hate that. <laughs> are like, hey, let's be weird because we're, no. Like, no. I think what we do is, what were the children of Israel told to do when they were carried off to Babylon? Seek the good of the city. Go, go do, if you're a baker, bake the best bread and make Babylon rich. And if you're a carpenter, 
and a stonemason, build some sweet buildings. Do it to the best of your ability. Work as unto the Lord in Babylon. Make Babylon prosper. Daniel became the prince. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were set in leadership positions over the land, and yet they didn't compromise, and they still refused to bow down to the statue, to Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and so I think that that's a perfect example. They're in the culture. They're, they're in the political world. Joseph was in the political world. He was second in command of all of Egypt, and yet he honored his God. And so I don't think our job is to just get our butts kicked for Jesus until he comes at the end. No, it's to go live in the world. And um, I love what Martin Luther said. You know, if you're going to make, if you're going to be a Christian shoemaker, you don't staple little crosses to your shoes. You just <laughs> make shoes possible, which was really helpful for me. Um now, when I look at my, it motivates me and inspires me. I want to be the best nutrition and strength coach that I can possibly be simply because it glorifies God and it helps other people get good results. Hopefully they come to understand their need for a savior and I am a good witness and a good testimony to them. But if nothing else, I am evidence of God's common grace in their life by helping them lead a healthier life while they're here on earth. So, um, yeah, I think I think it requires discernment, and discernment's really hard because it's going to come issue to issue to issue, and some people just don't like that, so they just peace out and don't even engage the discussion. Um, and then other Christians, unfortunately, uh, take ideas of like Christian liberty too far, and just because they look so much like the world, there's no distinction. And so we don't want to fall into either of those ditches. I think I think our job as believers is to. Be in the world. Be involved. Uh, love your neighbor. If you truly love your neighbor, it compels you. Love is not <laughs> love is not merely how you make somebody feel. Love is acting in someone else's best interest. And so, if I love my neighbor, well, I know for a fact socialism is not in their best interest. So I should be involved in the school board so that we don't teach CRT to our kids, so that the next generation of kids are not a bunch of socialist victims, right? Like love of neighbor compels me to push forward the law of God because at the end of the day, the law of God is grace. If people obey the law of God, their lives profit. Like God actually meant it when there is blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Like go figure. God means what he says. <laughs> love of neighbor compels me to engage in the world, to be involved in politics and music and religion and all of these, any, any public sphere. Because if I don't, I'm fundamentally saying that Christ is not Lord over that and he's Lord over everything. So the idea, I guess, for my life is just all of Christ for all of life, everything. Amen, brother. I love that. Yeah. Um, so you are, I mean, you're a husband, you're a father, um, you're a business owner. It seems like you own multiple businesses. Is that correct? Uh, well, I'm mainly strength and nutrition, and I'm, I've got my hands in a couple different things all in that same realm. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean you know, with the responsibilities you have with those roles, um, there's probably a lot of opportunity to either, you know, live out or not live out the idea. Um, I mean, basically everything you're just talking about, about, um, you know, Christian culture and, and how that, that, um, that manifests in our lives. Right. So is sure. there, is there, are there areas where you find it like really difficult or that you have struggles or, I mean, just like kind of, how does that look like in your everyday life with the responsibilities that you have? Um, 
That's a good question. Are you are you asking like specific issues maybe? Um Well, yeah, I guess I'm just trying to like, you know, I think that for most people, um it's probably difficult and maybe even just like a foreign idea to really try to like live like be faithful to um their values like 100% in their everyday life. So I'm just just kind of like how how does that look in your life? Yeah, yeah. Um well, first off, it there are oftentimes things that we're unaware of. I'm reading through the Old Testament right now, and I'm reading through it as fast as possible. And I, and in my younger foolish days, I used to mock the whole idea of like the Bible in a year. My thought was like, how could you deeply study it? You know, and I think that's dumb. It was, it was foolish. Um, I'm actually reading through it as fast as I possibly can because when you do that, uh, you see themes jump out at you because things are repeated over and over and over again. And you're like, oh, he just said that in this book. Oh, this relates to that. And all this stuff stuff is jumping out. Like you read the first five books of the Bible and as a husband and father, what jumps out to me are, are the million times it's, you know, talking about and teach your children this and teach your children this faithfulness to a thousand generations. And so there's a lot of these laws are, are commanded to be taught to your kids, to your kids, to your kids. And if they don't understand this, they're going to, they're going to turn away. Then you read Kings and Chronicles and it's exactly what you see is you see, so-and-so did what was evil on the side of the Lord because he didn't know the Lord. He didn't know his law. Josiah becomes king. And then uh, you know, one of the dudes is cleaning out the temple and finds the book of the law. Like it was lost. And Josiah is reading it for the first time in his life. And he goes, oh, crap, the wrath of God is coming because we are not obeying this. And one of the rules um, set down by God, given to Moses, given to the people of Israel, is when they had kings, the king was supposed to handwrite his own copy of the Torah. So every king was supposed to write the first five books of the Bible and make their own scroll, their own copy. Um, well, that hadn't been done in hundreds of years, right? And so you just see this over and over and over again, and then you see... Um, one of my prayers is oftentimes you'll see a king who does right in the sight of the Lord followed by a son who does wrong. A king who does right. Rarely do you see two in a row. And what we see, I believe it's either Jorah, is it Joram or Jehoshaphat? I can't remember, but, um, and then Hezekiah, somewhere in that line. Uh, I need to go back and look. But it said, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked faithfully with the Lord like his father had before him. And that hit me because I'm thinking to myself, Man, when my kids are when my kids die someday, I want my grandkids to be able to write their eulogy and say that my dad walked in the ways of the Lord like his father did before him. And so, with that in mind, um, I need to just constantly be prayerfully um, searching my life for areas of unfaithfulness because we, there are things we don't know what we don't know. I mean. There were entire generations of Christians that, that had slaves. We would say they're people of their time, and that's true. They were wrong. And so um, there were also things like Asa, good king. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but the high places weren't torn down. Ugh. And so in his day, in his reign, Israel follows the Lord, but those high places weren't torn down. And so then in his son's reign, the people begin making sacrifices on the high places. And I go, shoot, I know I, I truly am seeking to follow the Lord, but what areas in my life am I compromising in right now that are going to be a stumbling block for my kids and my grandkids? Dude, that's hard. Perfect mm -hmm. example. Um, 
you know, and I'll, I'll go ahead and say this on this podcast. And if, if some of my list, if some of my clients end up hearing this and you have questions, you can come and talk with me, but I'm actually phasing away from coaching female bodybuilders. Um, simply because, and none, all my clients are sweet. They're great ladies. Nothing is ever that, that nothing against them. I'm just in a place where one of the, as I'm growing and I realize I just don't want to put that level of immodesty, frankly, before my eyes all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I've, I've been in that world for a long time and there's, and I just, I've been kind of desensitized to it. I mean, I literally analyze bodies all day, every day, but, um, that world is hypersexualized, and I just, I need as a, as a father and a husband, as a man, as a married man, I need to guard my eyes. And I just think I'm standing in a stream of temptation. Why? <laughs> and now part of this is hard because when somebody enters into bodybuilding prep, that is intense requires a lot of time and money and intense sacrifice and dedication. So I've committed to the existing clients that I have, you know, my, my plan for phasing out of that is I'm going to get all of them through their shows. I probably have a solid nine months um, before I'm done with all of them. But of my hundred clients, I used to have about 30 competitors. I'm down to six females now. And over the next nine months to a year, a year from now, I shouldn't have any more female competitors. So I'm going to get them through all their shows, get them through their seasons, because I feel like, you know, that was my commitment to them. They, they're investing a lot of money. Um, and I'm going to do do right by them. And then I'm just going to phase out of that. And I'll still coach female clients um, overall for general health and fitness or athletics. Um, I just, I don't want to be in that world anymore, you know? Um so, so that's a perfect area where that's a perfect example of an area where God has worked on my heart to where I don't think I would have made that decision two years ago. I know I wouldn't have, right? And it's a hard decision because, to be perfectly honest with you, my bodybuilders are where I make a lot of money, right? Um, you, I can charge a lot for a bodybuilding prep. I put a lot of time and energy into it, and I also know that they're going to be a lot more committed than the average Joe. Like they're going to be literally being judged by their physique on stage, so they're committed. They're all in, and this process can take a year, sometimes longer. So, I mean, I have like set income at a high rate for a while. So, to give up bodybuilding is like ooh, kind of a st- right. But um, but God promises blessings for obedience. So. Um, whatever. We're just going to see what happens. And I've been perfectly fine. You know, I'm picking up more lifestyle clients and, um, and I'm passionate too about men. Um, so I'm hoping to kind of shift gears. My, my client list, again, I still, I love coaching ladies. Um, most people that coach will tell you that ladies are much quicker to reach out for help than men. So of my clients, I'm still probably 65% women. And that's just a fundamental difference between men and women. Men will just drink beer and let themselves get fat <laughs> and let themselves have high cholesterol and whatever else. And, and then when they're in their middle ages and they finally decide to get their health correct, it's usually because they have a wife or a significant other nagging them, right? Or a doctor telling them they're going to have a heart attack. So uh, it's, 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 that's just a fundamental reality. Well, and that's an unfortunate reality because I think it's a big problem that, um, you know, men are not taking more, like better care of themselves and they're not like like taking the pride and the responsibility of being like fit and healthy so they can, you know, be leaders in their family and for their, you know, for their wives and for their children and in their community. Like, you know, we need men that are strong and healthy and able to protect and provide. So like, Uh, man, there's four spheres of, um, as I, I follow Abraham Kuyper's kind of understanding of the spheres of, of government. God has established four spheres 
the self, the family, the church, the civil magistrate. You can't rule in your home well unless you're ruling yourself well. And if you ever notice, the qualifications of an elder of a church are all familial, right? There's one, the apt to teach piece. Um, you, you have to have some skill in speaking and ability to explain complex things. Outside of that, the other qualifications are familial, right? So it's a prerequisite that you're ruling your own house well. But you can't rule your house well unless you're ruling yourself well. How many times um, have we seen... Super fat, overweight pastors preach against drunkenness. I'm like, homie, okay, good job. You're not slave to wine, but you're slave to Twinkies. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't hear you. You can't speak on self-control with any measure of authority when you're clearly not. You don't have self-control. Like, you know, you might not be a slave to wine, but you're a slave to your belly, right? And I'm. you don't have to have a six-pack. You don't have to be shredded. You don't even have to be like 15% body fat. Just take care of yourself. Be reasonably healthy. Um, you know, go for walks daily. Uh, mind what you put in your body. Just care for your temple. Like, you know, I'm not asking you to be an elite athlete. Like, you don't need a six pack. You don't need 20 inch arms and you don't need a 300 pound bench. Right? Yeah. Well, so. so um, that is a topic I've been talking to uh, with a friend of mine, actually, about the requirements of elders. Um, she's concerned at her church about, you know, some of the elders being qualified because of the state of their family, of their their children um, kind of falling away from the faith. And um, so I guess my question in regards to that for you would be, um, how do you see, like, maybe in your clients or just in your life in general, like, you know, in church and your time uh, leading worship, um, how do you see, do you see any correlation between, um, like, a man's health and kind of the the state of his family spiritually? That's a good question. I've actually been thinking about that. Um, you know, I, I know some men who are really overweight, who are fantastic leaders, fantastic fathers and i'll say this um being in shape doesn't make you a better man or a better christian it will make you better at being a man or a christian so mm. imagine if you have a man who is an excellent father who is a, who is overweight and whatever else if he's effective in that state how much more effective would he be not in that state because Clearly, there's he's if he's leading well and instilling um, values into his kids and things like that, um, he's going to be able to do that more effectively. He's going to instill things like discipline and whatever else if he's if he's in shape. So um, it's hard. I don't I don't know that you can do a one to one correlation because there's plenty of jack dudes out there who are terrible people. Right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. At the end of the day, <laughs> the end of the day, you know, um, your, your your health it does not determine your spiritual status but i do think that if you have a worldview that says all of christ for all of life you should be applying that to all of life but again it comes back to that functional gnosticism that has invaded western culture for the last 300 years that just puts the physical world in a box and the spiritual world is what we actually care about right and this is just our this is just our earthly tent our earthly tabernacle we're going to shed it so who cares but it kind of again we are embodied souls and i think people don't think that way so it's um it's it's you 
it's a worldview. It's a fundamentally yeah. world. Have you um, heard of the book called Love Thy Body by Nancy Percy? I own it. It is right back here. Yes. Read it. So I, I read that like like pretty early on in uh, After Coming to Christ. And I mean, it just like, you know, in regards to abortion and like sexual immorality. And she doesn't really talk about it that much. But I mean, it, it very much so applies to like physical fitness like you're talking about as well. I mean, that that book is incredible. Yeah. She uh, so she takes a lot of her cues. She was educated at Labrie where Francis Schaeffer taught. And so that lingo that she loves to use the upper story, upper floor, lower floor, secular, sacred divide. It's exactly what we're talking about. And um, in his new book, there's two books, strange new world and the rise and triumph of the modern self by Carl Truman. He gets into these things even deeper. Um, and and they use a lot of that language and they're drawing on that idea that post enlightenment Christianity got infected. And here's the thing, no heresy, no um, philosophy is new. Like they're all new philosophies are just old heresies dressed up in new clothes. Right. So, I mean, this goes all the way back to Plato, um, Plato divided spheres right and so we're not seeing anything new it's just something that has invaded christianity in the last 300 years post enlightenment something the puritans fought hard against uh, but we're seeing the effects of and this is just one of those downstream impacts yeah plus also too i think you know um the church often doesn't develop the the church doesn't develop theologies of things in a easy time it's always when something hard or tragic happens and they're forced to think this way. So we're seeing this now with COVID and civil government. And, you know, what does Romans 13 actually mean? Should the Christian rebel or should the Christian just submit? Well, we've had it great in America for like 200 years. We haven't had to think this way. And so that doctrine of fear sovereignty and the lesser magistrates just totally got tossed out the window. But in the last two years, we're being forced to recover it because we have new issues to address. We're going, oh, shoot. Well, think about it. Even 150 years ago, fat people weren't a thing. You were agrarian. <laughs> like nowadays, we get excited because we have our watch. And, hey, guys, I got a 10,000 step count today. Good for you. Everybody got 10,000 steps before breakfast 150 years ago. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. So, so part of me thinks that some of the reason that we have this issue in the West is because we have so much prosperity, and we've we've never we've never had to deal with this before. Our, I mean, even our grandparents, our our grandparents. Look at pictures of people on the beach in the '60s. You can't find a fat person. Seriously. So the church was never forced to apply scripture passages to how you, you know rule your body in terms of your nutrition, physical health. So part of me thinks that the reason people ignore it is because it, it hasn't been an issue until the last 30 years. All right. Well, cool, man. So I guess uh, we can start wrapping up here, but there is one more question I would like to ask you. Um, I just, I'm just curious, like uh, where, where do you see things going culturally as far as for Christians and just, uh, I guess, Western culture in general? I, you know, I kind of, yeah, I mean, I kind of see that, you know, our culture has abandoned Christianity, has abandoned the values that it was founded on. And that is kind of why everything is basically falling apart. Um, so do you think there's, you know, 
do you think we can reclaim those values? Do you think we're just going to have to like, you know, try to build something separately? And as you know, the existing structures crumble, just hope that our, you know, something we can build something new in its place or just, I mean, how do you see all that playing out? Got a lot of opinions on this. My answer is going to surprise the crap out of you. I think probably. Um, so I think, I think fundamentally what I believe is that Jesus Christ is reigning right now at the Father's right hand. Um, if you read Daniel chapter 2, a lot of people apply that passage to the second coming of Christ, and they, they miss the point. He's not coming to earth. It says he's coming to the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days says, what do you want? And he says, I want the nations. This is Jesus Christ's ascension to heaven, his coronation as king, and his seating at the right hand of the Father. And so, this is why he can say to his disciples, all authority has been given to me. So, Colossians, kings, dominions, powers, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, on the basis of that authority, go, make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey all the things I have commanded you, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. Um, I fundamentally believe that that will be fulfilled. Jesus Christ will have the bride for which he died, which is people from every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. And so, um, every in church history, something that's unique, every generation thinks that they're the last. Literally, people in the first century thought Christ was coming again in their day and age. I think we're in the early church. I fundamentally do. I, I think this world will be largely Christianized. And what do I mean by that? Do I mean it's going to be honky-dory and everything's going to be great and we're not going to suffer? No, no, no. Um, I do not have an over-realized eschatology. I'm not a universalist. There will always be rebellion so long as we're on this earth. But the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest seed. And then it expands till eventually it covers the entire earth. Right? We have passages. Who, who are Israel's fundamental enemies? Philistines, the Egyptians, and the prophets speak of a day when they flow to Zion, representing the people of God, right? And they bring tribute. And um, there's there's even a passage, I believe it's in Zechariah, where Philistines are called, eventually will be called, the people of God. What in the world? So, um, so I think that Jesus actually wins. I have a, a eschatology of hope an eschatology of victory. Uh, people say, well, look at World War One and World War Two. How can you possibly think that way? And I say, well, you're too short-sighted, and you can't view your entire eschatology and the future of the world in a short time period. You have to think broader. Um, if I tell you to walk from here to Denver, Colorado, it's going to be a general trajectory of uphill, but you're going to go through a lot of hills and valleys. And America is most certainly in a valley. And I think we're under the judgment of God. God says that um, when a nation's under judgment, children and women rule over them. We are confusing gender fundamentally right now. We are taking our cues on environmentalism from the likes of Greta Thunberg, or however you say <laughs> that, right? Um, yeah. We, our, our current, our current commander-in-chief has the mind of a child. Um, it, so I think what we're seeing in America, yeah, we've rebelled, we've turned against God, and... And you ask, can we reclaim it? Yeah, we can, because the Bible promises that if a nation humbles itself and turns and repents, 
he can restore again. So something will happen. Either America as a civilization will collapse because you cannot continue. It is impossible to continue rebelling against God to this degree um, to fundamentally screw up basic concepts like gender and thrive as a society. You can't. It will fall apart. So either it falls apart and our children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren are going to rebuild a culture in the ashes of what was once was America, or we will, by God's grace, repent and begin to restore and rebuild. How that happens, I don't know. Um, but I do believe it will happen, because I believe that when Christ returns, he doesn't return to a tear field with some wheat in it. He returns to a wheat field with some tares in it. And so the kingdom will continue to expand. That doesn't mean the absence of suffering. What it means is the propagation propagation of the gospel, the propagation of truth. People don't realize this, but right now in South America, Protestant Christianity is growing faster than it did in Europe during the Reformation. Wow. It's exploding. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. The church is exploding in the Middle East and in China. Um, but we tend to look with American eyes. Mm -hmm. What's happening here, whatever is happening here, whatever's happening in first world countries must surely be God's final unfolding of his. No, that's very short-sighted. And I think we think in too short of time blocks. We're in a dark part of American history. Um, but again, read through the thousands of years of Israel's history. They had some really, really dark moments. They yeah. had some kings who were sacrificing to Molech. Right? Just like our politicians want to sacrifice to Molech. And then they had good kings who came in and tore down the high places. And so, yeah, we can we can get it back. Uh, the question is, will we? And so our job, you know, I, my job is to first love my wife and raise my kids to follow Christ. Then it's to teach the nations, baptize the nations. And if you have a, if you have nations filled with Christians, then you'll have a fundamentally Christian nation, right? All this talk right now about Christian nationalism, um, I, I'm not advocating some sort of theocracy where the church rules the government. I think God God separated those out. The church should not be speaking into the government, um, but Christians should be. <laughs> Christians mm -hmm. absolutely should be. And so if you have people who are submitting themselves to the law of God and you have a society filled with those people and they happen to be in government roles, then they're going to be bringing that worldview to bear on law and policy and things like that. So um, that's a really long way of answering that question. But I am optimistic because I have the promise that the kingdom will expand until it covers the earth, that Jesus will win. First Corinthians 15 is the key to my eschatology, for he must reign until every enemy is under his feet and then he delivers the kingdom to the father so jesus is going to reign until every knee bows in heaven and earth either either willingly out of repentance but everybody's bowing so so my um, outlook on the world is ultimate hope how that manifests in my lifetime and my kids lifetime i don't know i sure hope that uh they live in a peaceful, prosperous era where um, society is largely subservient to God's law. But they might not. They might have to arm themselves for suffering, and there might be some more persecutions and whatever else. But ultimately, um, 
the church has it started with 12 blue collar dudes and it's still the fastest growing religion in the world it's not slowing down and nobody can stop it so ultimately jesus wins amen hallelujah man i love it (laughs) yeah well anthony man thank you so much dude i really really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me um this was a really really good conversation absolutely man it's a, it's a blast and you can tell i i get passionate about these things hopefully i didn't ramble too much no dude it was great i mean i love it i'm sure there's a lot of other people out there that will love it as well so yeah just thank you again man um sure and uh hopefully we can uh, stay in touch yeah absolutely man we'd love to do it again sometime just let me know um but yeah you know where to find me all right cool man uh have a great night likewise buddy have a good one see ya yeah god bless you too Well, that wraps up another episode of the Worldview War Room. Thank you so much, Anthony, for joining me. And I want to thank all of you for listening. I hope that it has added value to your life and that it has served to draw you closer to God through your relationship with Jesus Christ. So with that said, go out there, proclaim the Lordship of Christ, and I will see you here next time on the Worldview War Room.